I'd like to always be podcast be podcasting like twenty four seven basically. Hot that's what it's all about. <clears throat> um and actually I could just like read so that I podcast every hour basically having All it would take is just post it 24, post 24 times. Um, that's a fucking great idea, and then I can kind of get together my spiel that I could put in a comment, so basically it's like a media blitz. Twenty-four-hour broadcasting and my own broadcasting corporation, just like nobody knows it. <laughs> Not even me until just right now. Broadcasting corporation. <sighs> okay, it's nice and bland name too. Like it's because the blander, the, the better the aegis, the shields. Anyway, mm hmm. So, Trying to get down this, uh, leads. I'm trying to make it so that I can have this thing read my. Y'all are still there. Okay. Right. 
see if everybody's still there. Yes, you are. Hi, so shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona and KPYT, Pasquayati, Travel Radio, Travel Radio, Travel Radio, on the road with Chest of Talk, Travel Radio, Travel Radio, Travel Radio. And hot on the hot on the trail of Trump going to jail. I should use that microphone. Trusty, you got a microphone right there. Don't use it. Well, maybe I'm kind of lazy. I like, uh, you know, I'm a kind of <clears throat> authentic kind of girl. Chariots of the gods. Okay, yes. Yes. Eric Von Daniken is. Wait, Bessie, don't press that skip button. Are you going to learn your psychology degree? It's very important. Are you going to learn your psychology degree? Very important. Chariots of the Gods, 1917 documentary history. On the Encourage TV channel. Chariots of the Gods. Based on the novels, Chariots of the Gods. I return to the stars, Eric Von Daniken. I just bought Tara Filkerst. 6,000 feet above sea level in the California mountains is equipped with the world's largest reflecting telescope. Its immense concave mirror intensifies the light from the farthest star a thousand times. A special roadbed 45 miles long had to be laid to transport to the observatory this mirror, which measures more than 16 feet across. Palomar telescope can probe the universe to a point four billion light years away. One light year is expressed in terms of miles by a six followed by 12 zeros. The nebulae photographed here are two billion light years from the Earth, or in miles, the figure 12 followed by 21 zeros. 
The giant eye of Mount Palomar can see billions of stars in the heavens. Today, scientific investigators the world over are absorbed by a fascinating question on how many of these stars could life exist? that in our galaxy alone, as many as 50 million stars could support a highly developed form of life. It's quite possible that our own planet, at some remote moment in its past, had a visitor from one of these 50 million stars. The world-renowned rocketry expert, Werner von Braun, has stated, a definite probability the existence of not only animal and vegetal life in the infinite reaches of the universe, but also that of intelligent beings. Professor Herman Oberth, the father of interplanetary travel, told us this. I believe that it's possible for unknown foreign beings of a superior intelligence to have visited our planet at a remote point in time. Scientists are quick to adopt a negative attitude towards new ideas. When the railroad was invented, they protested that humans were incapable of withstanding speeds of over 20 miles an hour. The Russian scientist Kazantsev, member of the Moscow Academy of Natural Science, asserts to the question of whether extraterrestrial beings gifted with intelligence have ever visited the Earth, I would reply in the affirmative. At the Academy of Science in Minsk, Dr. Vacheslav Setsev has declared, Personally, I'm absolutely convinced that extraterrestrial creatures have stopped on our planet because of the many traces they left behind. We have not yet learned how to interpret their traces. Only as we reach for the stars ourselves does the idea of earlier interplanetary contact with Earth become conceivable. dreamed of rising above the earth. Early in the age of science, he learned to fly, but it wasn't enough. century, man will land on Mars, in the next one, on Venus. How will our astronauts be welcomed when they set foot on another populated star? As enemies? Or as gods? We know from recent history how primitive people react to their first confrontation with modern technology. During the Second World War, American soldiers were sent to certain isolated islands in the South Pacific to build airfields and military installations. When the war was over, they went home, and a very curious thing happened. The natives of these islands, isolated from the outside world, 
lived virtually in the Stone Age until the Americans came and went. Very soon afterward. I'm Peter Sage, and I'm here to show you how to raise your game. If you're on a quest to become the best version of yourself, then I think there's a reason that you found this channel. Or maybe this channel found you. Whether you're a business owner who's running around on that hamster wheel, not being able to break through that glass ceiling to the next level, or somebody who may have achieved many of their goals and got to the end of that rainbow of success, only to find out that the treasure of fulfillment isn't there. Or maybe, like so many, you're just tired of all of the motivational quotes and catchphrases and cliches, and you're looking for something different, something more meaningful, deeper, and purposeful. If that's the case, you just found the red pill, the rabbit hole that will set you free. Because what you're about to learn on this channel will change your life. After spending over three decades in personal growth, as well as over 15 years working as an experienced trainer alongside Tony Robbins, I've gone about as deep down the rabbit hole of personal growth as it's possible to go. And what I found shocked me. The truth about succeeding in every area of your life took me from working all hours God send, trying to control every area of my life, and sacrificing my health, my happiness, and my relationships to effortlessly, and more importantly, happily, finding more success and abundance than I ever thought possible. And I know that what I'm about to share with you on this channel works because I've used it to create many multi-million dollar international businesses, to craft my body into a machine that at nearly 50 years old radiates health and vitality, to focus and master my mind so that it becomes my most powerful asset, and to create an empowering outlook on life that will set you up to win no matter what the challenge so if you're ready to raise your game then hit the subscribe button hit the bell uh, to get notifications sorry. and allow me to welcome you That's on a journey to become shocking. the best the americans came and went very soon afterwards the natives began making straw and bamboo fetishes resembling airplanes crude landing surfaces on their <laughs> islands to tempt the visitors back Terms of miles by a six followed by 12 zeros. <coughs> the nebulae photographed here are two billion light years from the Earth. Or in miles, the figure 12 followed by 21 zeros. The giant eye of Mount Palomar can see billions of stars in the heavens. Today, scientific investigators the world over are absorbed by a fascinating question on how many of these stars could life exist. It's nice to get that question out there right at the beginning. We know, for instance, that in our galaxy alone, as many as 50 million stars could support a highly developed form of life. It's quite possible that our own planet, at some remote moment in its past, had a visitor from one of these 50 million stars. The world-renowned rocketry expert, Werner von Braun, has stated, I hold as a definite probability the existence of not only animal and vegetal life in the infinite reaches of the universe, but also that of intelligent beings. Professor Hermann Oberth, the father of interplanetary travel, told us this. I believe that it's possible for unknown foreign beings of a superior intelligence to have visited our planet at a remote point in time. 
Scientists are quick to adopt a negative attitude towards new ideas. When the railroad was invented, they protested that humans were incapable of withstanding speeds of over 20 miles an hour. The Russian scientist Kazantsev, member of the Moscow Academy of Natural Science, asserts to the question of whether extraterrestrial beings gifted with intelligence have ever visited the Earth, I would reply in the affirmative. At the Academy of Science in Minsk, Dr. Vacheslav Setsev has declared, personally, I'm absolutely convinced that extraterrestrial creatures have stopped on our planet because of the many traces they left behind. We have not yet learned how to interpret their traces. Only as we reach for the stars ourselves does the idea of earlier interplanetary contact with Earth become conceivable. always dreamed of rising above the earth. Early in the age of science, he learned to fly, but it wasn't enough. Cut out some important bits of information about what came before, what happens in our collective within his grasp. The stunning advancement of rocket technology has put the entire heavens within yeah, our reach. In the like course of this century, man will land on Mars, and, uh, in the next one, on Venus. history how primitive people react to their first confrontation with modern technology during the second world war american soldiers were sent to certain isolated islands in the south pacific to build airfields and military installations when the war was over they went home and a very curious thing happened the natives of these islands isolated from the outside world lived virtually in the stone age until the americans came and went very soon afterwards the natives began making straw and bamboo fetishes resembling airplanes, crude landing surfaces on their islands to tempt the visitors back. had brought fabulous treasure with them from the skies. Tools, fantastic weapons, sky machines they'd never dreamed of. What else but gods could possess such superior knowledge? This reminds me of, uh, the gods must be crazy. Which they didn't hunt or fish, requires. yet they never lacked food. They came from heaven. They had to be gods. They must be lured back. 
The natives offered fiery sacrifices. They scanned the heavens, day and night, watching and waiting. had a new religion. A new cult was born from the encounter between a primitive people and visitors from a highly developed, technically superior society. The Russians... show us this chariots of the gods today on this hacked AF phone. So, <clears throat> we'll uh, pick up where Dad left off, let's see, nine minutes into it, on this device, which will, I can pretty much guarantee it, will play immediately and not fucking, you know, Terry like this motherfucker. Okay. By the way, I'm, I'm doing a special study probably this entire week on the Ancient Ones, which is just so full of, of mind-blowing information that um, I'm podcasting it on both podcasts, as well as still... I'm going to Google myself and see if I come up. I mean the show. Hot on the trail of Trump going to jail. Jail Trump attended. Congress tells DOJ to jail. These are videos. What about um? Okay, well, ten days ago, let's check this out. MSNBC. Jail Trump. Congress tells DOJ to charge Trump in first referral ever. You want $540 every single month when you, you want to this card. I'm going to show y'all folks how to do it today. If y'all didn't see last month, week on the month. news, they announced a completely okay, free health that. plan for Americans who Maybe make less time. than $50. This is the real deal. This is the whole enchilada. This is the thing people sit in prison for. For a long time, by the way. That is the new expanded congressional case tonight against Donald Trump laid out in public with this new evidentiary material and an excerpt from this forthcoming blockbuster January 6th report. Now, you heard Congressman Raskin there go through it. I want to tell you that very last felony he mentioned is really by far the most serious. In fact, let's... Music to my ears, comma, MSNBC... Exclamation points. Nice to hear corporate media actually speaking the truth for the first time ever, motherfuckers. (laughs) 
mother flockers. Flockers. <laughs> Let's run just that back. Where it gives aid and comfort to those engaged in insurrection. Aid or comfort to those engaged in insurrection. And in this case, those engaged in insurrection were the individuals that Donald Trump recruited and summoned to Washington and supported, and is also now publicly vowing to pardon. This goes way beyond that old seemingly quaint talk about a speech inciting a riot. If you followed the second Trump impeachment, as we did around here, you may remember there was a lot of talk about incitement and words and free speech. And can you give a speech like that? And the answer, by the way, which I've told you before, whether people like it or not, is you really can give a wild, irresponsible speech most of the time under the law. What you can't do is try to specifically and explicitly drive armed individuals into the Congress as they clamor to assassinate your vice president and others. So if some of this is familiar, you even say, gosh, yeah, I've heard about some of this if you followed the hearings. Today is legally different. This is now in public, the widest possible case, alleging Trump used these illegal means to both peacefully and violently obstruct the proceeding, defraud the US, make false claims through elector fraud, and then of course that insurrection itself. So next, this goes to the federal prosecutors who are already probing the insurrection in Donald Trump's role. They can review the same evidence and whatever other evidence they might secretly have and reach a judgment about whether to indict and try Donald Trump religions on more of these began charges in just this or manner. some of these charges wanna, or different charges or South America, from Egypt to India. Throughout the world, people have fables, legends, and even religions which center around visits from foreign astronauts. Of course, they don't call them astronauts, but gods who came to Earth in miraculous sky vehicles. We could easily accept these tales as mere fantasy. Were they not reported among people the world over? Written accounts of godlike visitors abound. For example, in the books of the Tibetan Kanshur. The Kanshur consists of over a thousand volumes containing the holy texts of Lamaism. The secret code of these texts is the most complex devised by man. Only one one-hundredth of the Kanshur has been deciphered. The resulting texts, which we can now read, are full of references to gods appearing in the sky 
of the luminous pearls and transparent spheres that these gods lived in. Once these books have been completely deciphered, they are bound to yield much more information about these mysterious space visitors. In India, the wisdom of the Mahabharata commands great respect. It is the national epic poem, much loved by the people. Its 80,000 verses are 6,000 years old. This is a part of the Mahabharata in which we also come upon stupefying evidence of gods come to earth. The poems speak repeatedly of Vimanas. These are vehicles which fly to great heights by means of mercury and powerful upward wind currents. This reconstruction of Vimana was made by Dr. Kazantsev, according to the description in the Mahabharata. The author of this passage witnessed what today would be called a blast-off. Bhima flew away in his Vimana on a gigantic beam of light, which shone as the sun, and whose noise was like the thunder of a thunderstorm. Our search for further evidence of visitors from other worlds takes us to Baghdad, the capital of Iraq, the land between two rivers. Do this stuff now too. Shit. Okay, well. House That's charges for Trump would carry years in prison. Huh, this is huh, not huh, a huh, quick huh, or easy huh, process. Huh, it huh, ain't huh, supposed huh, to be. Huh, 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 huh. But if you say, what is Congress doing? And is there more heat on the DOJ? And if that heat is based on evidence, is that a good thing? Well, tonight, all of those things are building together. Before this Congress peacefully hands off its governmental powers. There's been no talk of anything like a second insurrection when the Republicans take the gavel in January. Before they peacefully hand off their powers, they are using them in this very dramatic way, historically unprecedented. With that in mind, I want to bring in two sober experts who've dealt with exactly these kind of tough calls. The former acting U.S. Solicitor General of the United States under Barack Obama, Neil Kotschall, and the former head of the famed Southern District of New York, David Kelly, and full disclosure, my former boss in law. Welcome to both of you. Uh, David, I mentioned that some of these things can be difficult calls. But from the outside, it looks like, duh, video, violence, what more do you need? But from the inside, uh, the prosecutors have to very fairly go through the evidence. Walk us through from the DOJ side, where you've done tough cases, um, what it means to assess exactly this kind of case, which we know the special counsel is already supposed to be doing. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question, Ari, because obviously this is a hugely significant and historical 
act that occurred today, as you pointed out the, at the outset of your broadcast. Um, from a prosecutor's standpoint, I'm not looking at evidence. I'm looking at information. I'm being handed a bunch of information, a ton of information, from, from Congress who did a laudable job of interviewing you know, countless witnesses, going through millions of documents. It's my job as a prosecutor now to determine this is great information. Can I make it evidence? Can I make it evidence that is going to be admissible in a court of law? How do I do that? And you actually really, as a prosecutor, you take, I, the way I would approach this is to, I, I would kind of skim the fat and look at what I really need to make a charge and each piece of evidence, I would do it like kind of an order of proof. You know, what do I need to prove each element of the offense? What is the information Congress has given me? How do I take that piece of information and turn it into a piece of evidence? In other words, how do I make it something that is admissible in a court of law? So, for example, you know, you talked to um, Kaylee, I, I forget her last name, but the, she gave a lot of information concerning the drive um, where Cassidy the president, yeah, she was, she was, she was uh, you know, talking about how the president was trying to push to be driven up to the, to the Capitol and, and Secret Service said no. That, from her perspective, is really hearsay, right? She can't report what someone else has said, but the information is that there were others present. So I can, as a prosecutor, go to those others who were present, present and see if I can make them pro provide testimony, admissible testimony, about what, from a firsthand perspective, happened. So from, look, there wasn't a lot of new revelations or revelations today in terms of the evidence. There was some new stuff, but not a lot. My guess is that the Justice Department already has an awful lot of this in, in hand and has also already undertaken or right. begun to undertake this calculation, well, and that, this process. And that goes to what they're going to do. I mean, in, there have been times where publicly they looked a little behind the committee on the electric fraud plot, for example. There are other times where they've been all over it. I'm, I'm curious, Neil, what you think today means. Well, today means, Ari, you know, that we've always been talking about Trump and the big lie. And today, I think what the committee did is say there's another set of words to describe what, they, what Trump did, and that is federal crimes. And what they did was methodically walk through what, you know, David is saying he would be looking for, the elements of the offense, of these offenses, and the evidence that they found, which David's absolutely right. It's not a federal court, it's Congress, and so there's different standards that apply to a criminal trial. But it is a roadmap, and that's, I think, the word that uh, the chairman of the committee uh, called it, Representative Thompson, a roadmap to justice. It's basically telling that Jack Smith, the special counsel, here's how you prosecute this, and by the way, we think you should. Now, that, by the way, is not legally binding on them in any way. Jack Smith could refuse to even read the referral by the Justice Department, put it in a trash can. Obviously, I don't think he's going to do that. But the point is, this is just a set of words right now. It by itself doesn't have a legal implication. But I do think that it is, as a matter of real politique, quite important. Because what it is, is the Congress of the United States saying, for the first time, ever in American history, we think that this pre that a former president committed really serious federal crimes. Along and it's with going to, I think, subtly so. influence the Justice Department investigation. Jack Smith's still independent, and Merrick Garland will make his own determination, right. of course. 
but I do think it's important. Uh, it's an important um, step in prosecuting a former president. Jail Trump, comma, indeed, exclamation point. It's about damn time. Period. Okay, that was pretty great. Let me see the other comments on it. This is where we see again how billionaires are above the law in the U.S. Congress and Americans want these traders jailed. Traders jailed. Don't forget. Okay. The museum here provides us with many a link to the past, including accounts written on clay tablets at least 5,000 years ago. Their stony pages tell of mysterious Charge creatures of which came to earth in bursts of smoke hmm. and noise. At the turn of the century, a dozen clay tablets were found upon which the Gilgamesh was engraved in cuneiform characters. These are fragments of the Gilgamesh. A creation story in the form of an epic poem is inscribed here. It bears a striking resemblance to the book of Genesis. Yet the authors of the Gilgamesh lived 2,000 years before the men who wrote the Bible. Gilgamesh, the hero of the epic, was part God, part man. The seventh tablet described some amazing travels. Republican traitors in the here, Congress with gives us the first insurrection and remove them immediately under the 14th Amendment! Exclamation After point, thank you. Skyward. If you are an author, stick with me for 20 seconds. What if I told you that there was a proven system to help you get a steady stream of paid opportunities, even if you are a brand new speaker? What skyward in a space chariot for 12 hours he records gaze down upon the land what do you see look upon the seas what do they look like and the earth looked like a meal pap and the sea like a water trough the american moon men used very much the same words to describe their impressions of earth from high in space flying over the Dead Sea. Among these forbidding rock formations near Qumran, two young shepherds looking for lost goats found something quite different. In these caves, in 1947, they came upon the so-called Dead Sea Scrolls. They were inscribed on leather about 2,000 years ago. 
The Qumran texts also speak of strange sky vehicles and of the sons of heaven who came to earth in them. Their arrival and departure were accompanied by clouds of smoke and fire. Hardly more than a thousandth of these ancient sources has given up its secrets. There are too few scholars at work deciphering the mountains of parchment, bark, or clay documents gathering dust in museums and libraries. Moreover, what little has been decoded calls for careful study to determine just what verifiable facts they contain. We should no longer permit ourselves to dismiss accounts of sky vehicles and traveling deities as sheer imagination. There is a lesson in the reaction of those South Sea Islanders to their first experience with white men and airplanes. If they'd known how to write, surely their impressions would make fantastic reading. We would be wise to discover what truths lie behind the legends and myths of ancient times to take them seriously. One man did just that a hundred years ago. Here on the shores of Asia Minor, in 1864, a man came searching for the legendary city of Troy. He found it beneath this hill. Heinrich Schliemann had made up his mind to take the tales of Homer, the Iliad, and the Odyssey, literally. What utter nonsense, said the wise men of his day. Homer's stories were written eight centuries before Christ, and charming as they are, we all know they are only poetry. But Heinrich Schliemann had faith the factual historical side of the blind bard's accounts. And at last, his faith was rewarded. Following the poet's lead, he found ancient Troy. Imagine his pleasure in giving his wife jewelry he had unearthed in Priam's royal treasure house. Imagine his satisfaction in locating Troy exactly where Homer said it was. Schliemann was ridiculed in his own day. Today, he is considered one of the greatest archaeologists of all times. Following his example, let's take another great document literally. The Bible says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire. What actually happened? Certainly the 19th chapter of the first book of Moses describes a dramatic event. God sent his messengers to warn Lot's family of impending disaster. The angels told Lot, flee for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Flee to the hills, lest you be consumed. Today, of course, we know that a mountain offers protection from radioactivity. The messengers were insistent that he leave the city immediately. We might well wonder if they had foreknowledge of an atomic explosion. cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were leveled, laid waste at a single stroke. The kind of power to deliver such a devastating blow was not in man's hands in those days. The report of the catastrophe ends, then he looked down and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace.
comma America exclamation point. I'm Trista. Trish Dad. Trista for Congress. Uh, Trista for Justice. Trista for Justice. Tama, Trista for POTUS, comma, Oxford's, comma, Berkeley, comma, Taipei Medical University Honors Graduate, Dedicated public servant and aspiring. Uh, mm, intellectual. Artist. <laughs> Successful artist. Period. Thanks for a billion subs. Exclamation points. My podcast. Has nearly 30k views now, comma, thanks to you and word of mouth. Exclamation point. Despite the folks at DHS suppressing my communications, smiley face. So thanks for that. Exclamation point. I'm a Midas Touch producer. Covering pro-democracy podcasts like hashtag legal AF comma Hashtag Michael Cohen, hashtag Maya Culpa. Glenn Kirshner's Talking Feds, comma, and monitor all the media.
period. Award-winning newspaper, comma, radio, comma, features, journalist, semicolon, interns at Democracy Now! in New York, semicolon, aspiring correspondent for hashtag the daily show semicolon or hashtag Stephen Colbert Award <sighs> I was an archivist too. Archivist. I love archiving. Um, mention. I was webmaster at the. I was webmaster at the. Mount Horeb in the Sinai Range rises more than 6,500 feet above sea level. Here Moses received the Ten Commandments. Here also the Lord gave him the blueprints for the Ark of the Covenant. In chapter 25 of the second book of Moses, he gives directions for the erection of this amazing structure. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, acacia a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shall you overlay it, and you shall make upon it a molding of gold round about. The Lord was extremely precise about the building of the ark. He warned that no one should come near the structure. It represented a mortal danger, and though he himself would speak to Moses from the covering plate, he could not be seen. Moses was even to provide special shoes and clothing to protect his workmen. Shoes and clothing that would insulate them properly. If we were to build a replica of the ark today according to Moses' instructions, Foreign service officer candidates. With U.S. State Department in Washington. Semicolon. Project manager for President Clinton's Interagency Council on Women. At hashtag DOS semicolon internationally exhibited artist, internationally exhibited artist. Musician published twenty albums of music of hashtag Trista and the Edibles 
on SoundCloud and YouTube playlist, semicolon. Which reached number eight on Tucson, hashtag Arizona, hashtag alternative charts, semicolon.
Incredible. They keep getting better with time. Your results are going to get much, 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 much better. This is only the tip of the iceberg. The incisions are made with this, this tiny instrument that we do all of our incisions with. They're the size of a fret. <laughs> you mean, what am I already doing with this new buddy? Low party swimsuits, and I've been buying a lot of strapless dresses. <laughs> I'm so happy. It's so great for us to. Be able to put a smile on you. This is a CBS News special report. I'm Nora O'Donnell in Washington, and we are about to witness what could be a historic moment in American history. After nearly 18 months, this very House committee investigating the January 6th assault chicka, 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 on the Capitol chicka, chicka, chicka. is expected to vote to refer criminal charges against a former president to the Justice Department. And we are just moments away from this final public meeting of the committee, which will also vote to approve its final report and make recommendation in hopes of preventing another attack on America. For the most powerful person the trail of Trump going to jail. Accountability for the president. And what these hearings have shown us is a two-month effort, or maybe even a little longer, concerted effort by the most powerful person in the American system to destroy the central pillar of that system, a free and fair election. And it's told not by hearsay or anonymous sources, but inner circle members of the Trump team told under oath. So it's a story about the president. It's a story about the heroes who stopped him from doing this. And it's a story about the cowards who watched, knew they should do something, and stayed mom. You know, Robert, this is a congressional investigation of a scale we have not seen in decades. Thousands of pages, hundreds of thousands, um, hundreds of witnesses interviewed. How much of what will eventually be released on Wednesday be a roadmap to justice? A lot of it could be a roadmap for the Justice Department. The special counsel continues to issue subpoenas, conduct his own investigation, and there are ongoing grand juries about the scheme of alternate electors, about the broader January 6th story. But what you see from this congressional committee is a pile of transcripts, and those transcripts could provide clues to federal investigators as they make that prosecution decision about what else were people saying inside the White House, inside the presidential motorcade, about the president's conduct and the conduct of his allies. Mm -hmm. Nicole, you've covered these hearings so closely. Trump is going to have to plead insanity to escape prison time, exclamation point, LOL. Hashtag arrest Trump now. Up on Capitol Hill, what will be new today? 
Well, I think if we get these referrals, that will be new. You know, since the onset of this panel some 18 months ago, that has been the primary question. Will this committee issue a criminal referral against the former president? And, and so who else could be referred? And, and that's another issue. I mean, I think it's possible we could see, for instance, John Eastman, who was the author of that controversial memo to overturn the election, potentially be implicated here. We know it's possible some members of Congress could be referred to the Ethics Committee for not complying Yay. with this what? committee and for ignoring subpoenas. So those will be a couple of threads to watch okay. as we watch mm -hmm. this business meeting. And Jeff, what about these specific charges that we note here that could be obstruction of uh, an official proceeding, the incitement of an insurrection? How serious are those referrals that this committee is going to make to the Justice Department? Well, the referral is really just a formality. Some people call it a roadmap for the Justice Department, but really the Justice Department Justice Department has its own roadmap. They have their own investigation uh, going. And obviously, some of these charges that they are considering, the DOJ, mirror some of the charges we're going to hear today from this committee. So as you noted, the DOJ has its investigation moving forward. They will be watching what happens here today. And again, they want to get their hands on these transcripts, too, which could provide valuable evidence. Yeah, on that matter, Scott McFarland. These transcripts, we've seen a very well-produced, if you will, set of hearings by this committee, snippets of sound bites. But when you get the full transcript, there's even more information there. We expect the release of those transcripts on Wednesday. The numbers are startling here, Nora. They had 1,000 interviews, and they collected more than 1 million pieces of paper. And there were some key witnesses who were part of this investigation. But I'll also note this. The Department of Justice is already busy. Nora, they've already prosecuted 930 people for the U.S. Capitol attack, some of whom were witnesses, some of whom will get transcripts for. But there are also, Nora, hundreds more arrests still expected. Wow, incredible to think that that's still ongoing, all of those arrests as well. Um, let's bring in our chief Washington correspondent, Major Garrett, who is on Capitol Hill. Major, what, what is the political effect, essentially, of referring Donald Trump um, for uh, to the Justice Department? Well, it amplifies what the committee has discovered, Nora, and underscores the gravity of this particular moment. How bad January 6th was, how premeditated things were that led up to January 6th, underscoring for the country that that wasn't something that at first appeared spontaneous. Most of us thought it was spontaneous. In fact, it was the culmination of a long-running effort. And Nora, this will probably be the most important political investigation conducted by Congress since Watergate. What was the question back in Watergate? What did the president know and when did he know it? The question here never was that. We all knew that the president knew what was happening because he set it in motion. The question before this Congress was, what can you find out and what are you going to do about it? Well, but what are you going to do about it is now going to come to the apex in this moment of referring these criminal charges if, in fact, the committee go, go, goes forward as we expect it to against a former president of the United States. That answers the what are you going to do about it question that has lurked around this January 6th episode since it started. Major Garrett. Hi, can I become a regular contributing features writer for you? comma, and or editorialist, question mark. Thank you. As we see the chairman of this committee, Benny Thompson, 
um, the Democrat, as well as his um, co-chair there, Liz Cheney, Republican of Wyoming, who was defeated and will be leaving Congress at the end of this session. They are expected to speak, several of these members, as they lay out these final um, details from the report and summarize their investigation, which was more than 18 months in the making and exhaustive in nature. I'm pausing as I'm expecting the chairman to speak and give him his due and not to interrupt him at all. <laughs> well, he's waiting for you to finish. He's very keyed in to you. <laughs> he is extremely polite uh, member as well, John. But there you go. That's the gavel, I think, that we're, they're waiting for. Let's Shut listen up. to the chairman. If you're a woman over 40 and you want to lose body fat, stop doing endless workouts. Member as well, John, but there you go. That's the gallery that they're waiting for. Let's listen now to the chairman. A quorum being present, the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will be in order. Without objection, the chairs are authorized to declare the committee in recess at any point. Pursuant to House Deposition Authority Regulation 10, the chair announces the committee's approval to release the deposition material presented during today's meeting and further its approval to release deposition material that accompanies release of the select committee's final report. Good afternoon and may God bless the United States of America. To cast a vote in the United States is an act of faith and hope. When we drop that ballot in the ballot box, we expect the people named on the ballot are going to uphold their end of the deal. The winner swears an oath and upholds it. Those who come up short ultimately accept the results and abide by the rule of law. That faith in our system is the foundation of American democracy. If the faith is broken, so is our democracy. Donald Trump broke that faith. He lost the 2020 election and knew it. But he chose to try to stay in office through a multi-part scheme to overturn the results and block the transfer of power. In the end, he summoned a mob to Washington and knowingly they were armed and angry, pointed them to the Capitol and told them to fight like hell. There's no doubt about this. This afternoon, my colleagues will present our key findings, reminding you of some of the information we presented in earlier hearings and telling you how it fits in our broader conclusions. Those conclusions have helped shape the committee's final report, which we'll adopt today pursuant to House Resolution 503 which establishes the select committee nearly a year and a half ago. I expect our found work will be filed with the clerk of the house and made public later this week. Beyond that release, the select committee intends to make public the bulk of its non-sensitive records before the end of the year. These transcripts and documents will allow the American people to see for themselves the body of evidence we've gathered and continue to explore the information that has led us to our conclusions. This committee is nearing the end of its work. 
But as the country, we remain in strange and uncharted waters. We've never had a president of the United States stir up a violent attempt to block the transfer of power. I believe nearly two years later, this is still a time of reflection and reckoning. If we are to survive as a nation of laws and democracy, this can never happen again. How do we stop it? This committee will lay out a number of recommendations in this final report. But beyond any specific details and recommendations we present, there's one factor I believe is most important in preventing another January 6th, accountability. So today, beyond our findings, we will also show that evidence we've gathered points to further action beyond the power of this committee or the Congress to help ensure accountability under law. Accountability that can only be found in the criminal justice system. We have every confidence that the work of this committee will help provide a roadmap to justice and that the agencies and institutions responsible for ensuring justice under the law will use the information we provided to aid in their work. And for those of you who have followed this committee's work, I hope we've helped make clear that there's a broader kind of accountability. Accountability to all of you, the American people. The future of our democracy rests in your hands. It's up to the people of this country to decide who deserves the public trust, who will put fidelity to the Constitution and democracy above all else. Who will abide by the rule of law, no matter the outcome? I'm grateful to the millions of you who followed this committee's work. I hope we lived up to our commitment to present the facts and let the facts speak for themselves. Let me say in closing, the women and men seated around me on this dais are public servants in the most genuine sense. They put aside politics and partisanship to ensure the success of this committee in providing answers to the American people. I especially want to thank and acknowledge our vice chair, who has become a true partner in this bipartisan effort, Ms. Cheney of Wyoming. And I also recognize her for any opening statement that she care to offer. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for your, your tremendous leadership of this committee. I know we all have benefited uh, greatly from, from your wisdom and your wise counsel, so thank you very much. In April of 1861, when Abraham Lincoln issued the first call for volunteers for the Union Army, my great-great-grandfather, Samuel Fletcher Cheney, joined the 21st Ohio Volunteer Infantry. He fought through all four years of the Civil War, from Chickamauga to Stones River to Atlanta. He marched with his unit in the Grand Review of Troops up Pennsylvania Avenue in May of 1865, past a reviewing stand where President Johnson and General Grant were seated. Silas Canfield, the regimental historian of the 21st Ohio Volunteer Infantry, described the men in the unit this way. He said they had a just appreciation of the value and advantage of free government 
and the necessity of defending and maintaining it. And they enlisted, prepared to accept all the necessary labors, fatigues, exposures, dangers, and even death for the unity of our nation and the perpetuity of our institutions. I have found myself thinking often, especially since January 6th, of my great-great-grandfather and all those in every generation who have sacrificed so much for the unity of our nation and the perpetuity of our institutions. At the heart of our republic is the guarantee of the peaceful transfer of power. Members of Congress are reminded of this every day as we pass through the Capitol Rotunda. There, eight magnificent paintings detail the earliest days of our republic. One, painted by John Trumbull, depicts the moment in 1793 when George Washington resigned his commission, handing control of the Continental Army back to Congress. Trumbull called this, quote, one of the highest moral lessons ever given the world. With this noble act, George Washington established the indispensable example of the peaceful transfer of power in our nation. Standing on the west front of the Capitol in 1981, President Ronald Reagan described it this way. The orderly transfer of authority as called for in the Constitution routinely takes place, as it has for almost two centuries, and few of us stop to think how unique we really are. In the eyes of many in the world, this every four-year ceremony that we accept as normal is nothing less than a miracle. Every president in our history has defended this orderly transfer of authority, except one. January 6th, 2021 was the first time one American president refused his constitutional duty to transfer power peacefully to the next. In our work over the last 18 months, the Select Committee has recognized our obligation to do everything we can to ensure this never happens again. At the beginning of our investigation, we understood that tens of millions of Americans had been persuaded by President Trump that the 2020 election was stolen by overwhelming fraud. And we also knew this was flatly false. We knew that dozens of state and federal judges had addressed and resolved all manner of allegations about the election. Our legal system functioned as it should, but our president would not accept the outcome. Among the most shameful of this committee's findings was that President Trump sat in the dining room off the Oval Office watching the violent riot at the Capitol on television. For hours, he would not issue a public statement instructing his supporters to disperse and leave the Capitol, despite urgent pleas from his White House staff and dozens of others to do so. Members of his family, his White House lawyers, virtually all those around him knew that this simple act was critical. For hours, he would not do it. During this time, law enforcement agents were attacked and seriously injured. The Capitol was invaded, the electoral count was halted, and the lives of those in the Capitol were put at risk. In addition to being unlawful as described in our report, this was an utter moral failure and a clear dereliction of duty. Evidence of this can be seen in the testimony of President Trump's own White House counsel and several other White House witnesses. No man 
who would behave that way at that moment in time can ever serve in any position of authority in our nation again. He is unfit for any office. The committee recognizes that our work has only begun. It's only the initial step in addressing President Trump's effort to remain in office illegally. Prosecutors are considering the implications of the conduct that we describe in our report, as are citizens all across our nation. In 1761, John Adams wrote, the very ground of our liberties is the freedom of elections. Faith in our elections and the rule of law is paramount to our republic. Election deniers, those who refuse to accept lawful election results, purposely attack the rule of law and the foundation of our country. The history of our time will show that the bravery of a handful of Americans doing their duty saved us from an even more grave constitutional crisis. Elected officials, election workers, and public servants stood against Donald Trump's corrupt pressure. Has the patient had these issues before? If he did, I didn't take it seriously. Do you do that a lot? Not take him seriously? It's stigma. When there's stigma, we miss all the signs, and the condition just gets worse. Look, this is bigger than you, and it's bigger than me. The only way we're going to beat this thing is if we talk about it together. I'm ready to listen. Visit itsbiggerthan.com stood against Donald Trump's corrupt pressure. Many of our committee's witnesses showed selfless patriotism, and their words and courage will be remembered. The brave men and women of the Capitol Police, the Metropolitan Police, and all the other law enforcement officers who fought to defend us that day saved lives and our democracy. Finally, I wish to thank my colleagues on this committee. It has been a tremendous honor to serve with all of you. We have accomplished great and important things together, and I hope we have set an example. And I also want to thank all of those who have honorably contributed to the work of our committee and to our report. We have accomplished much over a short period of time. Many of you sacrificed for the good of our nation. You have helped make history, and I hope helped to right the ship. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Gentlelady yields back. As you know, this is our final meeting of our committee. Over the course of the last year and a half, we presented evidence in 10 public hearings, testimony from our brave law enforcement officers, senior White House, and campaign officials, and many others. Today, we are prepared to share our final findings with you. But before we do so, it's important to remember what we've learned and critically exactly what happened at the United States Capitol on January 6th. Without objection, I include in the record a video presentation of some of the key evidence our investigation has uncovered. officers on the ground, they were bleeding, they were throwing up. I, I mean, I saw friends with blood all over their faces. I was slipping in people's blood. 
As I was swarmed by a violent mob, they ripped off my badge. They grabbed and stripped me of my radio. They seized ammunition that was secured to my body. They began to beat me with their fists and with what felt like hard metal objects. The key thing to do is to claim victory. No, we won. Fuck you. Sorry, over. We won. Yeah. You're wrong. Fuck you. Right out of the box on election night, the president uh, claimed that there was major fraud underway. I mean, this happened, as far as I could tell, before there was actually any potential of looking at evidence. I didn't think what was happening was necessarily honest or professional at that point in time. So that led to me stepping away. Generally discussed on that topic was whether the fraud, maladministration, abuse, or irregularities, uh, if aggregated and read most favorably to the campaign, would that be outcome determinative? And um, I think everyone's assessment in the room, at least amongst the staff, Mark Short, myself, and Greg Jacob, was that it was not sufficient to be outcome determinative. I told him that I did believe, yes, that once the, those legal processes were run, uh, if fraud had not been established, that had affected the outcome of the election, then unfortunately I believe that what had to be done was concede the outcome. What were the chances of President Trump winning the election? After that point? Yes. None. So what are we going to do here, folks? I only need 11,000 votes. Tell us. I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. The numbers are the numbers. The numbers don't lie. We had many allegations, and we investigated every single one of them. Did uh, one of them uh, make a comment that uh, they didn't have evidence, but they had a lot of theories? That was Mr. Giuliani. And, and what exactly did he say and how that came up? My recollection, he said, we've got lots of theories, we just don't have the evidence. You're asking me to do something that's never been done in history the history of the United States, and I'm going to put my state through that without sufficient proof. It's a tape earlier in the day of Ruby Freeman and Shay Freeman Moss and one other gentleman quite obviously, surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they are vials of heroin or cocaine. In one of the videos we just watched, Mr. Giuliani accused you and your mother of passing some sort of USB drive to each other. Uh, what was your mom actually handing you on that video? A ginger man. Do you know how it feels to have the president of the United States to target you? The president of the United States is supposed to represent every American not to target one. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. He wanted to talk about that he thought the, uh, the election had been uh, stolen or, or was corrupt and that there was widespread fraud. And I had told him that uh, our reviews had not shown that to be the case. And I said something to the effect of, sir, we've done dozens of investigations, hundreds of interviews. The major allegations are not supported by the evidence developed. Well, my first thought was, 
where's that? This is a, a terrible idea. Jeff Clark cannot be installed as acting attorney general of the United States. You ultimately told us that you described uh, this meeting as a, or the, uh, not this meeting, the Georgia letter that was proposed as a, an effing murder-suicide pact. Do you remember using the term murder-suicide pact? Yes. Was it your impression that the vice president had directly conveyed his position on these issues to the president, not just to the world through a dear colleague letter, but directly to President Trump? Many times. My view was that the vice president had, didn't have the legal authority to do anything except what he did. And I said, hold on a second, I want to understand what you're saying. You're saying that you believe the vice president acting as president of the Senate can be the sole decision maker as to, under your theory, who becomes the next president of the United States. And you said yes. I said, are you out of your effing mind? The president was, you know, all the attention was on uh, what Mike would do or what Mike wouldn't do. There's a telephone conversation between the president and the vice president, is that correct? Yes. The conversation was, was pretty heated. Apologize for being impolite, but do you remember what she said? Her father called him the P word. It was clear that it was escalating and escalating quickly. So then, when that tweet, the Mike Pence tweet, um, was sent out, um, I remember us saying that that was the last thing that needed to be tweeted at that moment. It felt like he was pouring gasoline on the fire by tweeting that. They gained access to the second floor, and I've got public about five feet from me down here below. There's copies that are on the second floor, moving in now. We may want to consider getting out and leaving now. Copy. The members of the VPP time were starting to fear for their own lives. There were calls to um, say goodbye to family members, so on and so forth. Approximately 40 feet. That's all there was. 40 feet between the vice president and the mob. Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are a clear and present danger to American democracy. We got derogatory information from OSINT suggesting that uh, some very, very violent individuals uh, were organizing uh, to come to D.C. As Mr. Giuliani and I were walking to his vehicles that evening, he looked at me and said something to the effect of, Cass, are you excited for the 6th? It's going to be a great day. I remember looking at him and saying, Rudy, could you explain what's, what's happening on the 6th? Uh, he, he had responded something to the effect of, we're going to the Capitol. It's going to be great. The president's going to be there. He's going to look powerful. <laughs> He personally asked for us to come to D.C. that day. And I thought, for everything he's done for us, if this is the only thing he's going to ask of me, I'll do it. Um, well, basically, uh, you know, the president you know, got everybody riled up, told everybody to head on down. So we basically were just following what he said. Within 15 minutes of leaving the stage, President Trump knew 
that the Capitol was besieged and under attack. So are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Secretary of Defense that day? Not that I'm aware of, no. Are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Attorney General of the United States that day? No. Are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Secretary of Homeland Security that day? I'm not aware of that, no. Did you ever hear the Vice President, or excuse me, the President ask for the National Guard? Did you ever hear the President ask for law enforcement response? No. You got an assault going on on the capital of the United States of America. Nothing. No call. Nothing. Zero. I remember Pat saying something to the effect of, Mark, we need to do something more. They're literally calling for the vice president to be effing hung. And Mark had responded something to the effect of, you heard him, Pat. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. You on the staff did not want people to leave the Capitol. On the staff? I, In the White House. I, 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 I can't think of anybody, you know, on that day who didn't want people to get out of the, the Capitol once the, you know, particularly once the violence started. No. I mean, about the president. Yeah. Well, she said the staff. So I answered. No, I said in the White House. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I thought you said who, who else on the staff. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, I can't reveal communications, but obviously I think John, now I'm going to give you the best free legal advice you're ever getting in your life. Get a great FN criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. General Flynn, do you believe in the peaceful transition of power in the United States of America? The chair now recognizes the gentlewoman from California, Ms. Lofgren, for an opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Over the last 18 months, the Select Committee has conducted a congressional investigation of enormous scale, seeking to uncover the depth and breadth of ex-President Trump's multi-part plan to reverse the lawful outcome of the 2020 presidential election. We've compiled an immense volume of documents collected from countless individuals, law enforcement agencies, and federal and state authorities. Many of our efforts to get the evidence required litigation in federal court, including the U.S. Supreme Court. 
We've taken the testimony of hundreds of witnesses. And while we couldn't show them all during the hearings, we focused on those who were most, most central, including our ex-president's White House aides, his senior Department of Justice officials, and senior members of his campaign. Based on this assembled evidence, the Select Committee has reached a series of specific findings. Now, many of these findings pertain to what has been called the big lie, the enormous effort led by ex-President Trump to spread baseless accusations and misinformation in an attempt to falsely convince tens of millions of Americans that the election had been stolen from him. Beginning even before the election and continuing through January 6th and thereafter, Donald Trump purposely disseminated false allegations of fraud in order to aid his effort to overturn the 2020 election. Ex-President Trump's decision to declare victory falsely on election night wasn't a spontaneous decision. It was premeditated. The committee has evidence that ex-President Trump planned to declare victory and unlawfully to call for the vote counting to stop, and that he told numerous allies about his intent in the weeks before the election. The committee found that Mr. Trump raised hundreds of millions of dollars with false representations made to his online donors. The proceeds from his fundraising, we have learned, have been used in ways that we believe are concerning. In particular, the committee has learned that some of those funds were used to hire lawyers. We've also obtained evidence of efforts to provide or offer employment to witnesses. For example, one lawyer told a witness the witness could, in certain circumstances, tell the committee that she didn't recall facts when she actually did recall them. That lawyer also did not disclose who was paying for the lawyer's representation, despite questions from the client seeking that information. He told her, quote, we're not telling people where funding is coming from right now. We've learned that a client was offered potential employment that would make her, quote, financially very comfortable as the date of her testimony approached by uh, entities that were apparently linked to Donald Trump and his associates. These offers were withdrawn or didn't materialize as reports of the content of her testimony circulated. <laughs> the witness believed this was an effort to affect her testimony, and we are concerned that these efforts may have been a strategy to prevent the committee from finding the truth. Throughout the post-election period, ex-President Trump was told repeatedly by his campaign advisors, government officials, and others there was no evidence to support his claims of election fraud. Even since our last hearing, the Select Committee has obtained testimony from new witnesses who've come forward to tell us about their conversations with ex-President Trump on this topic. Here is one of his senior advisors, OPIX. Evidence of fraud on a scale that would have impacted the outcome of the election. And I was becoming increasingly concerned that we were damaging um, we were damaging his legacy. Uh, what did the president say in response to what you just described? He said something along the lines of um, 
you know, nobody will care about my legacy if I lose. Um, so that won't matter. Um, the only thing that matters is is winning. Despite all that, he continued to purposely and maliciously make false claims, sometimes within a day of being told that a particular claim was false and unsupported by the evidence. By the time the Electoral College met to cast its votes on December 14, 2020, a number of President Trump's senior staff, cabinet officials, and members of his family were urging him to facilitate a peaceful transition to the incoming administration. He disregarded their advice, and he continued to claim publicly that the election had been stolen from him. Numerous state and federal courts evaluated and rejected the Trump campaign's claims of voter fraud, including 11 judges appointed by ex-President Trump himself. Many of these courts issued scathing opinions, criticizing the lack of evidence that ex-President Trump and his allies had advanced to support their claims. Numerous individuals associated with these efforts have since acknowledged that they were unable to find sufficient evidence of fraud to affect the election results, including in testimony to this select committee. Still, ex-President Trump repeated those false claims and tried to convince his supporters the election was stolen. This was an attempt to justify overturning the lawful election results. Donald Trump knowingly and corruptly repeated election fraud lies, which incited his supporters to violence on January 6th. He continues to repeat his meritless claim that the election was stolen even today and continues to erode our most cherished and shared belief in free and fair elections. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Jim Woman yields back. The chair recognizes the gentleman from California, Mr. Schiff, for an opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Building on his constant repetition of the big line, President Trump engaged in an unprecedented effort to obstruct the joint session on January 6th, proceeding where his electoral law. he accused baselessly of election fraud, the state officials he pressured to stop the count or to find votes that didn't exist, and the state legislative officials he urged to disregard the popular will of the voters and their oath of office in order to name him the winner instead. Here are the select committee findings about President Trump's state pressure campaign. President Trump and his enablers repeatedly pressured state officials to take action to overturn the results of the election. The most dramatic example of this campaign of coercion was the president's January 2nd, 2021 call to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, in which the president urged the secretary to find 11,780 votes he needed to change the outcome in that state. During that call, President Trump again repeated conspiracy theories about the election that his own appointees at the Department of Justice had already debunked. Trump also made what Secretary Raffensperger apparently considered a threat, accurately considered a threat, suggesting that Raffensperger and his attorney, that they could be subject to criminal prosecution if 
they didn't follow through with his demands. Then, in repeated telephone calls and in-person meetings, Donald Trump pressured state elections officials and state legislators to alter official election results. But courageous public servants, including Republicans like Rusty Bowers, held firm and refused to put Donald Trump over their oath to the Constitution. When Donald Trump's pressure campaign did not achieve the results he wanted, he oversaw an effort to obtain and transmit false electoral college ballots to Congress and the National Archives. The false ballots were created by fake Republican electors on December 14th. At the same time, the actual certified electors in those states were meeting to cast their votes for President Biden. By that point in time, election-related litigation was over in all or nearly all of these states. And Trump campaign election lawyers realized that the fake slates were unjustifiable on any grounds and may be unlawful. In spite of these concerns and the concerns of individuals in the White House Counsel's office, President Trump and others proceeded with this plan. The select committee has developed evidence that these intentionally false documents were transmitted to multiple officers of the federal government and were intended to interfere with the proper conduct of the joint session, where the existence of so-called competing slates of electors would serve as a pretext for legitimate electoral votes to be rejected. President Trump repeatedly attacked state and local officials who refused to do his bidding, as well as local elections workers who he baselessly accused of fraud. As Ruby Freeman and the testimony of other elections officials so powerfully demonstrated, the people who drew President Trump's ire or were the subject of his lies faced real-world consequences, including public harassment and death threats. Some of these elections workers and officials have been forced to leave their homes. Others have been forced to leave the jobs that- Johnny Depp. Let <sighs> me listen to Ms. Freeman's story. I won't even introduce myself by my name anymore. I get nervous when I bump into someone I know in the grocery store who says my name. I'm worried about who's listening. I get nervous when I have to give my name for food orders. I'm always concerned of who's around me. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. The treatment of Ms. Freeman and her daughter Shea Moss and so many others around the country was callous inhuman, inexcusable, and dangerous. And those responsible should be held accountable. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Gentleman yields back. The chair recognizes the gentleman from Illinois, Mr. Kingsinger, for an opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, certainly one of the many important components of our federal government is the Department of Justice. It's the body that is responsible for enforcing our laws and investigating criminal wrongdoing. For this reason, it's of the utmost importance that our Department of Justice operates as a fair and neutral body that enforces our federal laws without fear or without favor. It is this critical function 
that President Trump sought to corrupt. As he sought to use the Department of Justice to investigate and prosecute purported election fraud and to help him convince the public that the election was stolen. The select committee has made the following findings with respect to the Department of Justice. In the weeks immediately following the 2020 election, Attorney General Bill Barr advised President Trump that the Department of Justice had not seen any evidence to support Trump's theory that the election was stolen by fraud. No evidence. Over the course of the three meetings in this post-election period, Attorney General Barr assured President Trump that the Justice Department was properly investigating claims of election fraud. He debunked numerous election fraud claims, many of which the president would then go on to repeat publicly. And he made clear that President Trump was doing, quote, a great, great disservice to the country by pursuing them. After Attorney General Barr's resignation, President Trump requested that the acting leadership of the department, Jeffrey Rosen and Richard Donahue, quote, just say the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. In other words, just tell a small lie to put the facade of legitimacy on this lie, and the Republican congressman and I can distort and destroy and create doubt all ourselves. Between December 23rd and January 3rd, President Trump called or met with him nearly every day. and was told repeatedly the department investigation showed no factual support for Trump's fraud allegations. Mr. Rosen and Mr. Donahue told him that the fraud claims were simply untrue. As Mr. Rosen and Mr. Donahue continued to resist, President Trump then tried to install a loyalist named Jeffrey Clark to lead the department as acting attorney general. On several occasions, Clark met with the president, apparently along with Representative Scott Perry, without authorization, promising to take the actions that Barr, Rosen, and Donahue had refused to take. In particular, Mr. Clark intended to send a letter that he had drafted with the help of a political appointee that the White House installed at DOJ with just weeks left in the administration. Mr. Clark intended to send the letter to officials in numerous states, informing them falsely, of course, that the department had identified significant concerns about the election results in their state and encouraging their state legislatures to come into special session to consider appointing Trump rather than Biden electors. Here's acting Deputy Attorney General Donahue describing his reaction. This is for people who were born in the 60s or 70s or earlier. Let's see your faces. Let's be proud of <laughs>
my chicken in the background. Share stories and post with Facebook. You know, that's how they say it in Chinese. Okay, Arizona's family, New York Times, Washington Post, Rolling Stone, being Latino, variety, a Latino mix. 103, Telemundo, Arizona, Salvador Dali, AZ Young Dems, Washington Post, Democratic Alliance, the Democrats. Hip Hop Award, Telemundo, PR, PR, NBC Latino, Midas Touch, and New York's Hispanic Caucus, American Federation of Teachers, Hispanic Caucus, Hip Hop Now TV, the funniest Latino page, ASU, Teachers Reels, Bernie Sanders, Midas Touch, New York City Schools, APA Hispanic Caucus, the Justice Department, Women's March, Youth, Jakarta, Global, Tucson Pride, Pro-Choice AZ, Fruity Feminist, Lavender Study Club, Women Are Not Pray Fem Labs, San Francisco Women's March, Non-Toxic, Breakthrough TV, Stand Up Fight Back Tucson, Tucson Protest, Evolve Project Women's March, 
Daily Wildcat, Women's March, Personal AZ, Reproductive Freedom, it's Women's March LA. <coughs> Um, Women's March, iHeartRadio, Matt Damon, Music, Mother Jones, Paul McCartney, I right. tagged them, didn't I? Okay. Alright. I This is the House Six Committee remit, recommends advance, criminal charges for Trump and final meeting. Special report, CBS News. To count official electoral votes, but he nevertheless devised a meritless proposal that deployed a combination of bogus election fraud claims and the fake electoral ballots to say that Mike Pence, presiding over the joint session, could reject legitimate electoral votes for President-elect Biden. But still, President Trump accepted and repeated Eastman's theory and used it to pressure 
the vice president to take unlawful action. In multiple heated conversations, President Trump directly pressured coerce. Vice President Pence to, to adopt the easement theory and either reject it's the electors or send them back to the state legislature. Why isn't he charged with terrorism? The vice president consistently resisted and repeatedly told the president. Why isn't Trump charged with outright treason and terrorism? Question mark. did not possess the authority to do what President Trump directed. This culminated in an yeah. angry phone call on the morning way. of January 6th between President Trump and Vice President Pence, during which the former president repeatedly berated Mr. Pence by cursing and leveling threats. White House staffer Nick Luna yeah, was one of the terrorist. many witnesses who heard the call as it happened. Take a listen at Mr. Luna's testimony. They still call you the kid. Aren't you old for that? Anyone ever tell you to respect your elders? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all you got? <laughs> hey, not bad. How about we take it outside, though? Oh, yeah. Just tell me when and where. Welcome to Fenway Park in Boston. The NHL is taking it outside. That event, unlike anything else in sports. The NHL Discover Winter Classic, live from Fenway, January 2nd on TNT. Count the minutes. Count. All right. So um, I see an old. Here's a another comment I had posted six days ago. Jack, be name bold. Jack, be quick. Hurry up and lock up this treasonous prick. Every. By the way, everybody, stop calling it falsehoods, claiming fraudulently, etc. He fucking lied. In fact, he lied to us over forty thousand times during his administration. Lock up the man, baby, and his treasonous minions. Two years ago. Justice delayed is justice denied. Where the F are the arrests? The Justice Department, do your damn job. There's a mountain of evidence, so there's absolutely no need to interview anybody else. You have a mountain of evidence to prosecute and charge and indict, motherfucker.